Today, I want to sort of set the stage for that, at least in the hearts of the believers. Um, I want to talk about two spiritual attributes that are perhaps the most important um, in any uh, any difficult relational period of time. Uh, This is all about relationships, the world we live in, and how we relate to one another. And there are two attributes that I think the Scripture points out to us that are the most significant in periods of time like we live in, and the absence of them can absolutely be the, uh, can sort of be the spark that sets off things like what we're living through in our nation. Uh, Those attributes are mercy and forgiveness. I want to talk about those. But first, I want to tell you a story, Uh, and even before I do that, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for your word, Lord. I say that so often. I thank you for your word because, Lord, it is a constant lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It shows us what we should do, what we should be, how we should live. Without it, Lord, I'm left to my own ideas. We all are, and I quickly go awry, and uh, we all do. Left to our own devices, left to our own understanding, we, uh, we go the wrong way. It's your word. It's the unsubjective nature of your word made alive by the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And I pray that that would happen today in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, let me tell you a story. Um, it is, uh, it's an illustration. Um, there was a fourth grade Sunday school class which was studying the scriptures and the scripture's teaching on when Jesus said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other one, on turning the other cheek. Stepping out into the hall, immediately following the lesson, the teacher came upon one of the young girls from the class, and she was just sobbing, weeping uncontrollably. The little girl's name was Melanie, and the teacher said, Melanie, what happened? Why are you crying? And she said, Jimmy hit me. Uh, the teacher said, he just, he just walked up to you and hit you? Why would he do that? Um, is that what happened? No, the little girl blubbered. I hit him first. (laughs) I know none of you have ever experienced anything. I hit him first. The teacher said, but why, Melanie? Why would you do that? She said, I asked him through her sobs. The little girl said, I asked him if he believed what you had just taught about turning the other cheek. And he said, yes. So I slapped him. And then he slapped me back. (laughs) Isn't Isn't that kind of how it goes? I know exactly how she felt. Don't you? I want everybody else (laughs) to act like a Christian. I want everybody else to turn the other cheek. I could be a saint if I lived on a deserted island. How about you? It's other people's Christianity that makes a mess of mine. Uh, Is that true for you? Well, it's certainly true. Uh, The scripture talks about the relational connections that we have with others And how many of you know that the closer that those connections get, the more we are invested in people, the the more intimate the relationship, well, the more and the greater the potential for hurt. And consequently, the greater the need for mercy and forgiveness. Let me read to you uh, Psalm chapter 41, verse 9. I want to read it to you from the King James Version. Uh, It says this, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. 
I don't think the guys will have it for the screen, but let me read it from the ESV. It says, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, had, has lifted his heel against me. Let me give you another section of scripture. It's from Psalm chapter 55, verses 12 through 14. Psalm 55, 12 through 14 says this, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, that or then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, O oh man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, who used to take sweet, we used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throne. In other words, those that were going up to the house of God. We live in a world that is so at times divided, and we are certainly there right now. People so, so adamant, so, so torn, so vocal, so vehement, so, so incensed with the circumstances that we are in. I, I want to speak to the intimate offense and certainly the events that have transpired in our world in the last few weeks. There is an intimacy to them. There is a closeness to something that is significant to all of us. This is a little bit, and this is another just illustrative story, but this is like an individual who goes through a divorce, a, a man who, whose wife divorces him, and in the divorce settlement, the wife is given the family home, the, the land that has been in his family for more than 100 years, and after the divorce, he's forced to move out, and the wife moves into that property uh, with the lawyer that represented her in the divorce. They don't get married, and that man has to live, that the, the man who has been forced to live out, he has to live with the fact that every night his two children have to see his ex-wife go to bed with the lawyer who represented her against him in their family home. Now, how does that man forgive that? The intimacy of that offense, the intimacy of that of that, of that hurt. How do you forgive an offense that strikes at who you are? How do you remove the pain? How do you move past the offensive nature of something that strikes, not just at something maybe that was a piece of property or something that was something someone took for you, or, or maybe not even a word. Somebody says something. But how do you forgive an offense that strikes at who you are, that devalues you as a person, that says, I don't care about you, that takes what should be love and should be compassion and should be closeness, and it is in that context, the very, the very core of who you are is reduced to nothing. How do, you, how do you get by that? It is in those moments that the attribute of mercy, I said we'd be talking about mercy and forgiveness. It's in that moment that forgiveness and mercy become such powerful, such powerful tools in the arsenal of the Holy Spirit to change the world. Watch this. If that offense never occurs, 
then the expression of that mercy and forgiveness never get extended. I'm not saying that God orchestrates these things. I'm saying that when the enemy creates the greatest hole that we might fall in, when the trap is the deepest, when the offense is the greatest, when the pain is the most visceral, when the, when the hurt is so at the center of who we are, it is in that moment. Come on now, church. It's in that moment when the love of God can shine the brightest. It's in that moment. Listen, it's good that we would, you know, be kind to somebody that cuts us off in traffic. It's good that, that somebody cuts in line at the supermarket. It's, somebody opposes us in, in a sporting event. They root for the other team and they're belligerent. All of that. Listen, all of that is good and all of that is are opportunities for us to express who we are. But what about when it's close? What about when it is deep, when it's, when it's visceral, when, it is, when it's so, so caustic, so acidic, so acrid, so, so, so evil that, that it just strikes at the very core of who you are? That's when, that's when it takes a God-sized love. It takes a God-sized grace. It takes something that we've only seen in that God would send his only begotten son to love the world by his sacrificial death. It takes that kind. Now, now we're at what Christians are supposed to be. Now we're at the level of what Christ has done. Now we got a chance to be a city set on a hill. And a light and salt to the world. I'm not saying it's easy. But now we're there. The mercy that we want the most from God. And that we find the most difficult to give to others. Is forgiveness. The mercy that we most want from God. Most need from God. And that we find the most difficult to give to others is forgiveness, especially in moments like this. The problem is that we are commanded to forgive in the same manner that we've been forgiven. In in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ties receiving forgiveness to extending it, to granting it. Forgiveness, real forgiveness, is mercy in action at life's Life's most painful moments. You extend mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. Someone that might not even be asking for it. Someone that's still perhaps living the offense. They're still doing it. They haven't even ceased hurting you yet. Because that's the kind of mercy that was extended to you and I. While we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiveness is mercy in action at life's most painful points. Granting mercy to those who have been merciless to us runs contrary to every carnal fleshly impulse. It is contrary to everything human in us. It is not natural. It is supernatural. An eye for an eye makes sense when you're hurting, doesn't it? Turning the other cheek, that doesn't make any sense. That's the problem with a lot of the things that Jesus taught us. They simply don't make sense to us. 
Giving away your money doesn't make any sense. Laying down your life for someone else certainly doesn't make any sense. And forgiving people that deserve in the world's way of thinking to be hated, that doesn't make any sense to our flesh. But it is the most needed mercy. This is, secondly, I would say, a path full of potholes. The act of forgiving is infinitely more difficult than talking about it. Let me say it again. The act of forgiving is infinitely more difficult. The extension of that mercy, it costs you something. You bleed when you do that. You rip the scab off of the wound again. It is salt in a fleshly wound. It is immensely hard. In the intimate offense to extend forgiveness, it's much more difficult than talking about it. There are two different types of situations in which we must forgive others. The one is, well, it's just more difficult than the other, but even the easier one is fraught with danger. The first one is this, when someone asks you for forgiveness, that's easier. The challenge here is withholding it. Have mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy is another way of saying forgive me. The person is pleading. And in that moment, you have the power. The offended person takes on the power. The offender had the power. But now, because perhaps of the conviction of the Lord or the revelation of their transgression, but something has changed in them. And they come to you and they say, please forgive me, have mercy on me, something like that. And the power switches people. You now have the power. And your flesh feels like it has every right not to forgive. Perhaps they are in a position where they would say, I I wouldn't even blame you if you refuse to forgive me, but please do. Please forgive me. I was wrong. I want you to know that that is a true apology. And scripturally, it gets forgiveness every time. Every time. You say, but what if they've done it before? Just add it up to 490. (laughs) 70 times 7. You and I don't get to keep the ledger. We have one position. Someone genuinely ask you. You say, well, they've asked me before. That means this isn't real. You, you, you are not qualified to measure that. A true apology gets forgiveness every time. Why would a person withhold mercy? Why do we do it? I can tell you right, right away why I do it. Revenge. I want a pound of flesh. I want you to hurt like I hurt. I want you to feel what you cause me to feel. I want, you to, I want you to struggle like I struggled. I want you to stay awake at night. I want you to cry hot tears into your pillow. I want your appetite to be gone for a week. I want you to lose an equal amount as I lost. Come on, isn't that it? It's that desire to inflict hurt. The unforgiving think, if they need my forgiveness, I'll withhold it. If mercy is what they long for, they're not going to have any of it from me. I'll punish them. I'll make them feel what I feel, and then we'll be even, and I'll feel better. But the reality is you don't feel better, and the kingdom of God shrinks. It never feels better. 
It just punishes the person who won't extend the forgiveness. You see, unforgiveness makes people dark, and it makes them bitter, and it makes them full of acid, but it doesn't really punish the other person. The merciless are among the unhappiest people on the planet. Those moments where you won't extend forgiveness and mercy, the confusion, all of that holds a hidden danger. I may want to gloat in the victory. (laughs) I won. You lost. I'm on top. Finally, you've admitted you're wrong and I've been vindicated. That may be what you think happens. At long last, you see it. You've come to your senses. You see my rightness and you see how wrong you were. I was right. You were wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. You, yeah, grovel in it. Live in it. I forgive you because now, like then, I'm better than you. And you see it now, finally. But but we're not. We too have been the offender. And it's in that realization that you and I have to live in moments like we're living in today. It's in that, in that sense of debt of what I've been forgiven that I have to live. To forgive the debts of others, we must be gracious. We must release them. Watch this. We must heal them. We release all hope of being paid what we are owed. That's what Christ did. That's where you and I as the body of Christ have to live. And in times like we are in now, that's the only place we can live. So the first situation is when someone asks forgiveness, but what about when they don't? When the wrongdoer has not asked for forgiveness. This is a really hard one for us. Somebody has hurt us badly. They've hurt us deeply. Perhaps they've betrayed us. And they have never asked for forgiveness. Should we extend mercy to them? Jesus says, yes. But most of us, we find that very difficult to do. How can I illustrate that for you? What if your worst enemy, the one who has hurt you the most, suddenly is found to have a terminal disease? They're dying. Can you bring yourself to the place where you release them and you begin to say, Oh, Lord, save their lives. Bless them. Pour in life Pour in vitality. Bless their family. Bless their wife. Bless their children. Bless their business. Lord, bring life to every area of them. Can you do that? One of the greatest illustrations of that, and I don't know if all of you have read, but if you haven't, it's a great great use of your time. The book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, the Nazis who imprisoned her and her family and ultimately killed almost the entirety of her family. 
she explains that unforgiveness is like ringing a bell in the book, The Hiding Place. As long as you keep pulling the rope, the bell in the tower rings. But there comes a moment where you make the decision to stop pulling the rope, to not ring the bell any longer. You stop pulling the rope, but the bell doesn't instantly stop ringing. The same is true with the momentum of our emotions in times where we feel offense. You can make a conscious decision to forgive and to bless, but you don't just instantly stop the emotional pain that accompanies that act. And that's how we think it's supposed to happen. I said I forgive them. I'm supposed to instantly feel better, but it doesn't. That takes time for the Holy Spirit to stop that. We no longer hold on to our unforgiveness. We actively pray for and we begin to act upon our desire to see our offender blessed. And in relation to that, in our emotions, we walk by faith, not by feelings. I don't have to feel it to do it. You say, no, no, no. When I start feeling differently about them, I'll start actingly different. If you wait for that, it's never going to happen. We combine the nature of Christ with our fallen flesh. We let Christ interject himself into it. We begin to act like Christ, even though we don't feel like acting that way. And slowly our emotions and our feelings, they begin to line up with the word of God's instruction about how we treat those who have been offensive in some way. I used to imagine... There's a word that people use. Well, eventually there'll be closure. I know that psychologists have a lot to teach us, and I, I read a lot of stuff that, that follows those teachings, and I believe in learning, and, and, and I believe in scientific research, and I believe in education and the benefit of those things. But there was a picture that sort of was reinforced in me because of some of the emotional things that I've read about you know, the way we are wired and the way enclosure is a word. Well, you'll come to a place, you need to find closure. And there was a picture of that that I had in my mind that there would be this big cathartic moment where someone would come and, and great, you know, we would cry tears and there would be hugs and, and then suddenly the sun would come up and the birds would begin to sing and the flowers would begin to bloom and suddenly it's a beautiful day and all the clouds roll away. But that rarely happens. Rather... You make a conscious decision to extend the mercy that God has extended to you. And sometimes it feels lousy when you do it. The birds don't start singing and the sun doesn't roll out and the clouds don't roll away and the sky doesn't turn blue and suddenly everything is perfect. No, sometimes it feels miserable to extend God's grace. But you do it because you are looking through the lens of what Christ did for you. And slowly the clouds clear. And slowly my heart changes. And slowly I feel in my emotions the release. But that rarely happens in a moment, in a second. What about when you're, let me close with this. In these times that we live, what if you find yourself to be the wrongdoer? What if you're the one that has been offensive intentionally? 
You, you, you saw the right way to go. And you saw the damaging, evil, fleshly way to go. And you went with gusto the wrong way. Or maybe it was less than that. It was unintentional. But you find yourself being the one who's been the wrongdoer. What about when we seek mercy? There is even a merciful way to seek mercy. There is even a way to extend the virtues of God when you're the wrongdoer. A merciful way to seek mercy. What is it? It is an unmixed apology. Pastor, what do you mean by that? A mixed apology, at least in my mind, is no apology at all. Please forgive me. I know I was wrong, but this is the reason I act that way. That's a mixed apology. Don't do that. That's unmerciful. That's you pulling the scab off the other person's wound. I acted terrible, and here's why. It's really your fault. It's really the circumstances' fault. If you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done this, and this wouldn't have happened, and we wouldn't be here. Don't do that. That's merciless. Say it like this. I was wrong. This is what I did. Please forgive me. And stop right there. Nothing less, nothing more, nothing else. An apology alloyed or mixed with anything else or even the hint of accusation will fail utterly because it's insincere and it's self-serving. I want you to know, don't do that. There may be times when you need to make restitution. Hey, look, I, I, I took this from you. I'm returning this to you as best I can. And there may even be times when that needs to be publicly done based on the circumstance. There may be times when you need to stand in front of a group of people and say, hey, Last week, last month, last year, I did this, and it was wrong. And I'm apologizing to so-and-so, but all of you need to know that I was wrong. And then there are other times when it needs to be private. It doesn't need to be a public thing. We live in a day and time, church, that desperately needs a group of people who lead with mercy and forgiveness. They live in that vein. They, they're looking for ways to express mercy to those around them. So many today are filled with a venom and an anger and a bitterness. And that hate only breeds more hate. That darkness only breeds more darkness. And you and I, as the body of Christ, into that environment should be people in every venue available to us who are spreading mercy and who are projecting forgiveness and who are pushing forth grace and kindness and love. When you get on social media... Why don't you do what the scripture says and season? What does that mean? Season it. I've got to say something, but I'm going to make sure that it's got a healthy dose of grace poured on top of it. I'm going to make sure that what I say has the temperature of love and the sense of forgiveness. Because that's who Christ has called us to be, both in our personal relationships 
and in our corporate relationships and in who we are in the world that we live in today. It is the most needed virtues in this time. Mercy and forgiveness. Mercy to those who offend. Forgiveness to those who offend. Mercy and forgiveness when we are the offender. It needs to be in our tone. It needs to be in our lives. It needs to be in what we do on social media, especially there, because people don't know our hearts. They only see our words. And when we do that, when we do that, we'll bring healing and we'll bring love and the kingdom of God to the world we live in. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here for our Wednesday morning night. We'll be back here tonight at 7 o'clock. We are studying 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 tonight. A great, a great study that goes right in with this about the love of God and what it means to be uh, in this world that we live in today and to express God's love. Remember the prayer time that will be going on on our parking lot if you'd like to come. It'll be a sort of a drive-up thing. We'll ask people to stay in their cars or sit you know, outside close to their car. Uh, we won't do a bunch of fellowshipping and close connections. And if you haven't already watched the video that describes the... Um, uh, sort of the uh, restrictions upon us this Sunday, the things that we'll be do, sort of the policies that we have in place for this Sunday and the near future. Uh, go check those out. One last thing, in case you hadn't, you may not have seen this yet. This coming Sunday is BGMC Sunday. Uh, we will have a way. We'll have some buckets with some receptacles that uh, we won't be having the kids obviously uh, walk around, but we'll have buckets that you can put your change in. So bring your change for BGMC missionaries all around the world, counting on us to help them with the resources that they need. Listen, have a great rest of your afternoon. We'll see you tonight online or here for our prayer time out on the parking lot at 7 o'clock. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.